and he must have a firm grasp of the unchanging message so that he can be counted on both for giving encouragement in sound doctrine and for refuting those who argue against it. WSFI 88.5 FM presents Reclamation Theology with Kyle Clement. Of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God Almighty, look down upon your people on this first Friday in the year of our Lord, 2020. Lord, we thank you for sending your son. We praise his holy name. We give you thanks for his mother, for she who is the gate of all graces. We give you thanks for the Holy Spirit among us, the paraclete that you promised and sent. Holy Trinity, we pray to you and we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. We ask you always and everywhere to be present to our, to us, to our souls. May we always seek closer union with the Trinity. May we always seek closer union with each of the persons of God through the Blessed Mother, through the Theotokos, through the very Mother of God. Bring us clear understanding. Lord, bless us. Give us the words to speak. Give us the ears to hear so that we may open humanity again to the grace, the saving grace that is to flow through the Trinitarian unity and our understanding and our, our involvement with it. St. Athanasius, pray for us. All you holy men and women of God, pray for us. St. Michael, pray for us. Amen. In the most holy name of Jesus, I offer this prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you're just tuning in, you're hearing the voice of Kyle Clement, loyal to the Magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church. Kyle Clement has been involved in the consultation and formation of Institute curriculum, as well as the instruction of priests and laity relating to Catholic liberation and exorcism for over 15 years, and is presented internationally on these topics. He is a member of the Religious Association Societas Matris Dolorissime with Father Chad Ripperger, who is his superior, where he serves as the case facilitator, administrator, and provides instruction, evaluation, case investigation, consultation, and ongoing formation and protocol for the establishment of bishops, exorcists, dioceses, and religious orders in the U.S. and abroad. And Kyle, you also relatively recently co-founded an organization called Libra Cristo with Father Ripperger. Is that correct? That's correct. Libra Cristo is um, is essentially a new movement um, utilizing old the tradition uh, response to. Catholic response to spiritual warfare. We call it the Catholic um, methodology, the Catholic. And the reason that we do that is because it, it just adheres to the, the time-tried principles of traditional Catholicism, of monasticism, of prayer, of discipline, of practicing and knowing our faith as the bulwark or the sure defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. And so I, I think that um, I would invite your listeners to go to LibreCristo.org, L-I-B-E-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-O.org. It's Latin, but it's linguistically vague because what we were trying to capture is the understanding that liberation is achieved with him, through him, in him, and the him being Jesus. 
with him and joining your suffering to his and not trying to escape the trials and tribulations of this world, of this of this valley of tears, this Hakkakramaram Vale, this this veil of tears, this pilgrimage time on earth, but to join your suffering to Christ with him, through him, is the total understanding that all grace flows through Jesus, all grace flows through his blessed mother Mary, and the understanding of the doctrines and dogmas of the church is a surefire and a sure way, a sure defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. So with him, through him, and in him, and then ultimately, to quote um, Monsignor Essef, John Essef, one of the uh, exorcist emeritus of this country, and well-known in, in liberation circles everywhere, is we are Jesus, meaning we are he who brings hope into the world, we are he who brings salvation, when we eat his flesh and drink his blood and share in eternal life with him and the fruits of salvation with him, we become his presence in the world. Um, just to spread the gospel message, to spread the salvation that is found only within the church and to preserve our faith. And so that's the short riff on Liber Cristo, LibreCristo.org. And Kyle, when you mentioned um, freedom, as the new year starts, I know I was going through my laundry list of things that, attachments that I want to shake off. You were talking about freedom from the devil and freedom from these weaknesses found through the Libra Cristo method. Maybe just um, a quick aside, walk us through some of those ways that we need Christ to free us in this new year. How, does, how do we get these tentacles in us, that unwanted tentacles that are in us? What are examples of those? How do we get it and how do we free ourselves from it? Excellent question. Excellent question and observation and, and imagery with the tentacles, uh, the ligatures, the, the bondages. <clears throat> I think first and foremost to understand that um, the Catholic of 100 years ago, his behavior, his daily routine was much different. The Catholic of 200 years ago was even different than that. And so if you're wanting to recapture uh, the sanctity and the fullness of the Catholic faith. Let's look back at when our convents were full, when the seminaries were full, when faith was the primary um, activity of the Catholic. He knew what day it was cosmically in regard to the liturgical calendar. He knew who he was. And it, the first word that he would use to define you is, I'm Catholic, not I'm American, not I'm a man, not I'm a woman, I'm Catholic. And so Catholic is a configuration of the soul to God through the sacraments. Liber Cristo defines liberation as as healing, as reconciliation with God the Father through the sacraments. Ultimately, it's reconciliation with God the Father. Modernly, we've got all kinds of variations. You gotta remember that the demon has been among us for over 2,000 years, for much, much longer, but the demon has been among us. He knows where our weaknesses are. He has a learning curve. He's understood and understands how to attack both from outside the church and from inside the church, and that attack is at its height right now. Just a couple of cosmic observations. It is later than it has ever been. We are headed toward the end times, whether we like it or not. I'm not telling you they're going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to pick a date. But what I'm telling you is just by a function of chronology, it is later than it has ever been. 
It is later than it has ever been in your life. This is the this is the 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 first day of the rest of your life. This is the first day for you to make good on that which you said. I need to grow in my faith. And to answer your question, there's a couple of simple things that I would offer to you in 2020 to make part of your life and to understand. And then the first one is this. Modernly, we order prayer to our life, and that is absolutely inverse. We must order our life to prayer. Prayer or the recognition of our relationship to God Almighty through the sacraments, through our state in life, through our faith, is absolutely necessary for salvation. Absolutely necessary. And so this is not my opinion. I'm not just fostering an agenda. I'm giving you centuries of Catholic tradition and teaching and the understanding that the discipline that we impose, the prayer and the discipline that we impose on ourselves inures or works or benefits our eternal soul. And so first thing in the morning um, is that morning offering at the very, very least. One of the Desert Fathers, I, I love to read the Desert Fathers because these guys, they understand spiritual warfare inside out. And St. Anthony of the Desert said, Every moment, every breath you take awake in bed is an infidelity to God. <laughs> Listen to that language. What does that mean? That sounds ex extreme. Why is that an infidelity to God? Well, it's absolutely extreme because our first calling is to give thanks to God. And so if we're laying there in bed and we're not standing or not in kneeling, is what he was saying, because those are the only two recognized prayer postures, then then what are we really doing? We're laying there for ourselves. And so in that moment, in that breath, we've placed ourselves ahead of God, an infidelity to the first commandment. Now, oh. that's spiritual warrior. That's spiritual warfare. And so if you're desiring sainthood with all your heart, then that's what St. Anthony's saying. This is what, this is how you look at yourself, is, is uh, are, you, are you seeking sanctity, sainthood, or satisfaction? And that's the point that I'm making. Are, are we seeking just a an equilibrium, a comfortable relationship where we view ourselves as being a good person? Or are you seeking sainthood? And so that's the question. Catholicism is the path to sainthood. It is not the path to uh, temporal uh, satisfaction. It shouldn't be. Modernly, that's one of the attacks inside the church is we've got prelates who are making us a political body seeking temporal satisfaction, seeking the ease of suffering um, rather than the, the purposeful use of it. Hmm. And, you know, most of us, when we talk about the new year, about we, we're looking at losing weight, physical weight. But for me, it's the spiritual weight. It's the attachments and, and baggage that we bring in every year. Yeah, and you were talking about the calendar. I was thinking... Wow, I'm in my fourth quarter. You know, in, the, in football, you have the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter of your life. As you as you mentioned, you're closer to the end. I'm thinking, boy, probably I'm in the fourth quarter of the football game of my life. And all of a sudden, you wake up, and you say, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are in that position, Kyle, where they're saying, you know, I'm 60. And it goes by very fast. What can I do those last five or 10 or 20 years of my life? 
Yeah, and I think it's a great observation. I'll tell you, about two years ago, I started living my life as if I'm in overtime because every single day is a gift. If you don't see it as a gift, if you don't see it as an opportunity to make good in our flesh, that which we have, um, in ways we've offended God, if you don't embrace every day as an opportunity for reparation and for making good and an understanding that by every day that I use prayer and discipline to mortify myself, to get rid of these attachments, to draw closer to God, then I'm prolonging time in purgatory if I'm fortunate enough to, to achieve it. Think about the suffering that's happening here in our bodies. What would it be like without a body to do reparation? You know, the, the, that's just amazing to me, the horror of losing this body with which I can pray, I can kneel, I can mortify myself, I can order myself, losing this through death, and then how do I address the spiritual sorrow of having offended God without the flesh to, to, to do that, to express that? Um, that's a very daunting experience. And so one is to realize that every single day is a gift. The second one is that every single day is a dress rehearsal for particular judgment. If we contemplate the four last things every single day, it is amazing how easy it is to avoid sin because it's to remain in a state of grace is the desire. It's not, if you avoid uh, making a mistake, if you avoid sin, that's the very minimal, minimum. It is to pursue sanctity, to pursue holiness. Avoiding sin and pursuing holiness are two very, very different things. And so it is the cessation of habitual mortal sin or any participation in someone else's sin. And so what you do is you find yourself constantly turning toward God. Prayer is more easily accessible. Con the contemplative state is something you can slip in and out of if your desire is this intimacy with God. And so every breath we take, every move we make takes us closer to or further from God. We ask the wrong question when we ask the priest, Father, is it bad if, fill in the blank. The question should be, Father, is it good if, fill in the blank. In other words, is this activity going to take me closer to eternal salvation? Does this activity, is this something that I can stand in front of our Lord and answer for at particular judgment? And so I think that's an overarching uh, or a 30,000 foot flyover. Now, as we get closer, less is more. Less is so much more. In the Liber Cristo protocol, which Liber Cristo essentially works with the Societis Matris Dolorisissime in developing and developed a methodology to um, determine extraordinary diabolical activity. This is being used in dioceses across the, uh, across the country. And so what's happening there is there is a 30 consecutive day uh, prayer and discipline regimen that will help us determine whether the person is being extraordinarily afflicted. The problem modernly is that there is a tremendous amount of diabolical affliction, but it's ordinary because we generally are snowflakes, meaning we have a low threshold of spiritual adversity, then we want to label everything as extraordinary. It's ordinary, and so that's what we find often. 
but to order your life to prayer, to pray three times a day, to acknowledge the incarnation, the Angelus, three times a day is huge in reordering your life and getting rid of, of ordinary diabolical activity. So without going deep into detail of how we go through the diagnostic process, suffice it to say that approximately 80% of our cases, which were over 1,400 last year that we reviewed, approximately 80% of our cases resolve uh, in phase one, which is the daily recitation of certain prayers at certain times of the day. Now, interestingly enough, we find that often the person will say, I can't pray that much, or they will say, I can't pray that little. They've taken on all these attachments, spiritual attachments, all these devotions, all these extemporaneous things. And I want to make a point about devotion. Devotion is not piety. What we desire is piety, love of God the Father. And then the expression of devotion becomes a natural, organic movement out of piety. What modernly many people are doing is adapting a devotion and trying to work from the outside in. And that's not, that's not going to be effective. It is the interior life of piety which will exude or give off um, devotion. That's what we're seeking. On your website, Kyle, is that where we can go to get that 30-day? How would we access what you're talking about? I think that the website has many things. It has, uh, on the free section, it has talks by Father Riffiger, by myself, other people who are expert in spiritual warfare, some very practical advice. There's a lot of, like I said, free things on there as far as what you can click on. There's a distance learning program uh, about spiritual warfare. Um, there is a lot of, of materials and resource materials that you can access through that website. So spend some time on it. Go to it. Um, Libra Cristo is trying to build community. We're trying to build remnant community. And it's not a, a remnant community is, is other than to preserve the faith and to utilize these practices, devotions, methodologies that were accepted across the board. It's interesting Often I get the, the question, of power and authority are a big, big issue. And so often we get the question, where, do you, where can I find this discussion about right order, about the natural order, about authority, about husbands being submissive, I mean, uh, husbands being submissive, submissive to Christ, wives being submissive to husbands, that St. Paul was the first place, and then every moral theology text written prior to 1960 is this whole, um, it's where this treasury is. And so I think that a big observation that I want to make, and one of the takeaways from today's program, and to order your life in 2020, clear sight, I love this year, 2020, yeah. it's where we get clear hindsight, look back on your life, and then order it for the future. So in this year, 2020, I want to give you two really, really poignant principles to follow. Number one is this. When we defend our faith or our traditional practices uh, to the ignorant or to those who are apostate or to those who are in opposition to traditional Catholicism, we are participating. Many people call this apologetics. What we're doing is we are participating 
in a conversation similar to what Eve did in the garden. And that is where an opinion that is in opposition to God's holy will is given place and is given importance and is given equal status to doctrine and dogma, where a man's opinion or a creature's opinion is elevated to holy writ or to doctrine or to dogma. We need to stop doing this, very simply. Don't defend your faith. Have them defend their apostasy. Have them defend their rebellion. Have them defend why they've departed centuries of Catholic teaching and of practice, and then it falls apart. Because if Eve had said to the snake, defend why you, creature, are willing to defy the holy will of God, it would have been the end of the discussion. I will give you the I'll give you the observation that Eve and the serpent are engaging in the first ecumenical theological dialogue, meaning an opinion contrary to the holy will of God and to accepted doctrine and dogma is now given place of equality to what we know to be absolute truth. If we see it in that light, we understand that this, that. Satan comes to her as an insult, as the lowest creature, lowest form, speaking to the highest form. The, the symbolism, it can't be missed here. And so this lower creature speaks to the higher order. And when she acknowledges or returns and starts in the conversation, now she's elevated this apostate opinion or statement to God's statement. We cannot do this. We have to stop this. And so all of those who are engaged in apologetics, I, I urge you and I beg you, reverse the roles and have the person that you're in dialogue with defend the apostasy in light of all of the tradition and all of the teaching. I think this clarifies and helps a lot. We, we, if you've ever been a parent, then you, you, do, you do this naturally when the three-year-old, you say, make your bed or, or clean your room or the five-year-old or six-year-old, whatever you'd like. And they say, why? Because I said so. There's not a defending of the faith. I, I can tell you very simply, I've got grandsons, I've got sons. Those of you who have raised boys, until we're the age of nine, we are a corporal creature. We understand corporal punishment. We understand corporal consequences. We're not rational. Our, the nine-year-old boy in less is not a rational creature, meaning that he works primarily out of his corpus, out of, the, out of his corporal nature, out of his physical nature, and less so out of his rationale. If you find yourself trying to reason with a four-year-old, then you're not going to get anything done. You're, you're simply not. And I think this has been part of the breakdown that has come into society, various things is we we fail to form children, we fail to form right unions, we fail to form these things. Liber Cristo, we looked at 20 years of uh, spiritual warfare uh, data, and, and we looked at the data set and we said, what are the three areas that have the most difficulty in someone achieving liberation? And I want to give you this quote before I continue in that line. I think that the best thing, the best comment on liberation is by uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, whose sainthood is being de delayed by very much lesser men, by men who could not stand in his shadow and cannot stand in his shadow, and that's why they're opposing his sainthood. 
because when he becomes saint, then all of the, the admonitions he made against clergy, all of the prophecies now must be listened to in light of a saint. I think we need to understand what's happening right there in that battle for his, uh, for his sainthood. So he said, it's not liberation from something. Liberation is freedom for something. And it's being liberated from all of the temporal attachments, from all of the temporal things that allow us to be free now to ascend the cross with Christ, to ascend toward holy and eternal life with Christ, with him, through him, and in him by joining our life to his, by joining our suffering to his, by joining our purpose to his, by joining our being to his. And so that's what Fulton Sheen, Archbishop Fulton Sheen was saying, is that it's not liberation from something, but liberation for something. Based on that, we looked at what are the three areas that are the biggest obstacle to liberation and to someone living the Catholic life. And we found them in this order. Unforgiveness or, or justified, self-justified sin. Unforgiveness or self-justified sin. The second one is um, an impediment to grace vis-a-vis -vis virtue, meaning a def defect in the understanding of virtue and how it's practiced and what virtue really is. And then the third one was power and authority. Someone is out of order in the authority structure. So Kyle, so, walk us through an example of each one of those three so we get it. Excellent. The unforgiveness one, self-justification is this, is you will hear people say, I can forgive everyone except for my father who abused me or Uncle Bob who beat my aunt. or And, and then it's, it's always going to be, I can forgive everyone except this person. Or another variation of that is someone who was uh, suffered at the hands of another says, I forgive them, but I don't want, but I hate them. And so that's not forgiveness. That's not and forgiveness is misunderstood. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not saying, oh, it's okay. Forgiveness is the understanding that I have a just claim and I'm willing to give it up because that's what Christ did. I'm willing to suffer for the very person who caused the pain. This is Catholicism. This is Christ-like. This is being Christ in the world today. And we lose the understanding because of the malformation or deformation of priests who don't instruct us in the, in the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of penance, the sacrament of confession. We're counseled rather than um, confessed. And here's the difference. is counseling, in counseling, the person is told to do what it takes to get through the, to, to feel better, to just get by the situation. The confessor calls you to the understanding of this is spiritually bad for you. You can't do this and attain heaven. You can't do this and attain eternal life. That's the role of the confessor. When's the last time a confessor told you you can't keep doing this. You've got to stop this. You, you've absolutely got to do whatever it takes to forgive this person. And so we've got failure in the laity, failure in the uh, priesthood in this sacrament, this most, most important preeminent sacrament. And so we find that 
sacramental math is challenged. For instance, if I go into the confessional and I've got three mortal sins and I confess two of them, I come out with four. The three I went in with, and now I've profaned the sacrament. We've got to learn how to, to, to go deep, to be exculpatory, to get to the bottom of these things, and to forgive, if for nothing else, to, to clear us, to get this blemish off of our soul. So that's what I mean by, by lack of forgiveness, is we're harboring a grudge or an offense uh, against someone, and we think we're good Catholics. We're not. Um, and so that blinds us to the participation in habitual mortal sin. And the most common uh, habitual mortal sin is transgressions of the fifth commandment, offenses against the truth, whereby we are killing people's reputation. We're killed by gossip, calumny, slander. One of the most misunderstood and unused sections of the catechism is offenses against the truth, section 2475 to 2483, which talks about the Catholic's obligation to safeguard the truth and someone else's dignity. There are more Catholics that I encounter that are in mortal sin who are blind to it, who do not know that, because modernly what we're told is, is if it's the truth, you may say it whenever, however, and to whomever you, just, you wish. That's not what our faith teaches. And so that's unforgiveness. The second one, defect in virtue. The defect in virtue that we most commonly see modernly is what I call situational ethics, which means if someone treats me poorly, then I may treat them poorly. If someone treats me um, badly, then I'm justified in treating them badly. And the four cardinal virtues are where this all breaks down, is we've lost the Thomistic understanding of the four cardinal virtues and how they open one to grace. All of this is covered in a dynamic program called Freedom Through Christ, which is our phase two um, centerpiece in Liber Cristo, or the path to liberation. And you can find this on the website at LibreCristo.org. And it's called Freedom Through Christ, and it explores what we call the impediments to grace in these three areas. And it helps someone methodically go through and, and identify the impediments to grace. What is keeping grace from flowing into a family? And so I would urge you, if you have anyone who is away from the faith, anyone who is, you perceive their soul is in peril, I would encourage you to explore the Freedom Through Christ program. And so this is a Catholic approach to liberation. There are so many elements out there that are not Catholic. What do I mean by Catholic? It places a return to the sacraments at the center of the effort. And the Blessed Mother and her pivotal role, her main role, her role as she who would crush the head of the serpent, it places Mary in a sense of prominence where she should, should be and has always been. And it also places Jesus at the center of the understanding that he's not the preferred way to salvation, he is the only way to salvation. To quote him, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life everlasting. It is the understanding that a full relationship with all the Trinity, all of the church, all of the sacraments is necessary if one's going to achieve liberation and sustainable liberation. So the four cardinal virtues, what is a defect in virtue? It's the situational ethics or the, or the thought that 
I am somehow justified in treating these people differently and treating creatures differently and not giving each creature their due. And the short definitions of, of and understanding that the virtues and their daughters and the understanding of them are a sure way to practice sanctity and to bring one into holiness. Now the last one is, is authority. Authority flows through a right order. Jesus himself speaks to this when he looks at Pilate and says, the power you have over me comes from above. It's providential. And he yields to it. And he yields to it. He allows Pilate to pass a death sentence. And so this is, this is the ultimate display of right order to authority because ultimately all authority comes from God the Father. Right authority. Now, there's a big element that we lose, especially in the United States with our rugged individualism and our self-justification and all of those things that are a result of being growing up in a country which is fostered on Freemasonic principles. That's another topic. Mm-hmm. But that we're, we're, we're self-justified. But here is the big problem, is authority has nothing to do with merit. Let me say it again. Authority has nothing to do with merit. The authority of a father over his son has to do simply with God sent that soul to be in the care of that man. God chose that soul. God placed your soul in the conception, in the era, in the time, in the ethnicity, in the culture, in the gender. God made that decision. God placed you in that stream of time. God placed you in that stream of humanity in that particular place. And one of the first things that the adversary whispers in your ear is you were born in the wrong family, the wrong gender. People don't understand you. You, Your family doesn't understand you. Your father is defective. You're a better man. You're a better woman than your mother. All of these things are the subtle whisperings of the adversary militating directly against right authority directly against right authority and grace flows through office it flows through right ordered patriarchy matriarchy fatherhood motherhood all built upon spousal union grace flows through right order and spousal union the case in point is the blessed mother as theotokos we we celebrated that feast two days ago theotokos mother of god When Gabriel says, hail full of grace, he's essentially saying, hail you through whom all grace flows. The understanding of Mary as co-redemptrix, as as mediatrix of all graces is right theology. It is old theology. This is theology that has come forward through the centuries. It And a truth is a truth. It doesn't matter who says it's ridiculous or doesn't have um, merit. A truth is a truth. A doctrine is a doctrine. A dogma is a dogma. It is the natural progression of theotokos, perpetual virginity, assumption, coronation. This is the, this immaculate conception. This is the natural progression. And so whenever you see a failure to include Mary, then you're seeing a disorder. Whenever you see a failure to include Trinity, Jesus, whenever you see a failure to include that, 
these people, these persons, and who they truly are, then you're seeing a disordering of the Holy Trinity. You're seeing a disorder of how the Holy Trinity is present to man through the spousal union with the Blessed Virgin. You're seeing a disordering in theology. And it is theology is simple. Theology is extremely simple. God is simple. This whole thing is simple. We don't want to yield to it because we are a stiff-necked people who place too much merit on ourselves, who have no merit. That's, I think, the the breakdown on um, for lack of forgiveness, lack of virtue, and failure to, to yield to right authority as the avenue and function of grace. Wow. So, Kyle, you mentioned the number of cases. You, you mentioned, how many did you say you reviewed this year? 1,400 in 2019. Yeah, because I think when we first met you, there were 500 cases. What's going on? You're getting a lot larger. There's just a lot larger data set of people asking for help. They're starting to be a, um, a coordinated or an infrastructure. And that's one of the things that Libra Cristo provides to dioceses and to parishes is uh, how to develop a protocol and an infrastructure to deal with these cases. One of the things I'd love for your listeners to understand, because I get so many re uh, requests from the Archdiocese of Chicago and neighboring dioceses, um, request, and that is understand that God is allowing whatever's happening, God's allowing, and he's allowing it where it's happening for a purpose as well. He's allowing it to happen in archdioceses who have dysfunctional deliverance and exorcism systems so that they may become functional. So offer your suffering, offering your, offer your angst, your consternation, offer all of your frustration for the church, for your chancery, for your prelate, for your archbishop, for your cardinal, for whoever is in charge of developing functional liberation systems, Catholic functional liberation systems, and continue to offer that. That right there is what brings about change, it brings about conversion, and the willingness to suffer for the purification of the church. And it's pretty easy to figure out where there's a lot of suffering needed, there's a lot of reparation needed, there are bright spots and dark spots, especially in light of the USCCB being asleep at the wheel with regard to shepherding souls. And so call a spade a spade, but pray for those people who are in dire need, especially our clergy, especially our priests, and most especially our prelates, our shepherds who are absent. Today's the Feast of the Holy Name, Kyle. We're running up. We're, we're done in our last uh, third of the show, and I wanted to make sure we didn't let that slip through. Um, tell us a little bit about the this feast day, the Holy Name of Jesus. The Holy Name of Jesus um, goes back to the 1500s, and I think that one of the understandings is we've, we've lost so much practice in our faith. The Council of Lyons told us that, um, on the Council of Lyon, told us that we should venerate the holy name of Jesus, just as it suggests in scriptures, which is at least a slight bow at the name of Jesus. And so I would urge you in 2020, begin to acknowledge the holy name of Jesus. And when that name at which every knee shall bend and every head shall bow, slight head bow, even when you say it in the Hail Mary, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, slight bow, slight pause, Jesus, because when you say that name, 
you are changing the cosmos. You are making present Jesus in that name. It now has tangibility. It now has tangibility. Remember that the Sanhedrin called Peter and Paul and said, you can't uh, call Peter and James and said, you can't preach in that name. Stop using that name. Intone the holy name of Jesus. Venerate the holy name of Jesus and realize that the holy name of Jesus rocks the cosmos because it is the messianic prophecy. It is God made flesh. It is God Almighty made present among us. This is on the back of or, or right out of Theotokos, Mary, mother of God. She is who we say she is. That's the first Marian dogma, incontrovertible truth. All ecumenical theological dialogue, if you insist on encouraging and uh, engaging in it, should start with that statement. Mary is the mother of God. Do you agree or disagree? If you disagree, Saracen, if you disagree, Baptist, if you disagree, Lutheran, if you disagree, whoever you may be, then we cannot continue this dialogue because it is the understanding that Mary is the mother of God, the Theotokos, the understanding of that, that opens your heart to the grace of understanding who Jesus Christ is. If she's the mother of Jesus, she is the mother of God. Jesus is God. If we can't connect these simple dots in a linear form, then your person that you're speaking to, their intellect is dimmed by sin. They are not in a state of grace. They cannot understand what you are saying. You are speaking like the adults on Charlie Brown. If they can't, wah, 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 wah. If you can't, get them to agree to this point, then further dialogue has no possibility. It has no, it, it has no, under, it, no possibility of succeeding because they are not using an intellect that is yielding to the absolute truth of who she is and who he is. The holy name of Jesus. Interestingly enough, we see this being broken down in the very place that was called to preserve it, which is the Jesu, the Yesu, the home church, the home place, the home house of the society of Jesus, the Jesuits, how far they have fallen, how far they have come from preserving the veneration of the holy name of Jesus and exactly who he is and exactly who she is. And so there's the rift on the holy name of Jesus. It's a devotion that developed alongside and analogous, not in opposition to, the sacred heart. Two, dev two devotions which we would do well not only to explore, but to adapt. And if we will venerate the holy name of Jesus, each and every time it is said, a slight bow, a, a slight acknowledgement of who he is. He is the incarnation. He is God condescended to man. And if you can do that, in 2020, and to understand that whenever you say the name Jesus, pull up, pause long enough to see the infant in the manger, see the crucified Christ, see the risen Christ, see all three of them, and then you have a beginning of a glimpse of just exactly who he is and who sent him, who carried him in her womb. If you love Jesus, then you have to love his family, his father, his mother and all there is about him. The holy name of Jesus could, should call one into deep veneration. 
of not only who he is, but what he left us, which is the church and our role in the preservation of it. That's I think there's, is there a litany to the holy name of Jesus? There absolutely is a litany to the holy name of Jesus. It is most powerful. All of this stuff is there um, for the finding on the internet. Um, and so explore your faith. All you simply have to do is look at the liturgical calendar, even the new one, as abbreviated and abominated as it is. Look at the liturgical calendar and say, what is the epiphany? What, what does that mean? Why does it fall here? What is the circumcision? What is candle mass? What, and then what is the secular abomination of, of these things? You will realize that we as a church, the diabolical see us as a huge, terrible military entity, banners flying, snapping in the breeze, saints, purgative souls, all of us marching toward heaven. We are a terrible, terrible entity, meaning that we are huge and formidable to the adversary. But we have no idea who we are. We have no idea who the faith is, what the faith is, and who we are as Catholics. We have no idea of our ability to change the cosmos. But we must first change ourselves. We must first clean our own house, our interior, become pious, venerate the holy name of Jesus, embrace the liturgical calendar, and just for that one day, pray to the Theotokos that she may intercede with God, her son. Pray for the holy name of Jesus today, the holy name, just, just for today, the holy name of Jesus. Each time his name comes up, each time you see it in print, bow your head, venerate the holy name of Jesus. And on Monday, not Sunday, Epiphany is the sixth day of January. It has always been the sixth day of January, and it will always be the sixth day of January. So on Monday, explore the, uh, the Epiphany, exactly what it is. Don't let them take from you the treasures of your faith. You know, Kyle, I got feedback from one of our shows, a few of the things that we were talking about, and they said, well, that's the old way. That's going backwards. Yeah, it's interesting to me that same people who will say that will want to say um, they will want to invoke first century church and they will then want to invoke the imagery of banquet and they will want to invoke, the, <laughs> invoke they use, they pick and choose. It's a Protestant mentality that's worked its way into the, the Catholic church, which is to seek license for what I want to do by picking some obscure saint or some obscure writing or some obscure simple line um, that this is what the saints said, and then we don't take the totality of what they say. We as Catholics are formed by the totality, and when they say that's the old way, I will simply say, yeah, it is, and in the old way, we had saints, and in the old way, we had full seminaries, and in the old way, we had full monasteries, and in the old way, we had holy people, and in the old way, the Catholic Church, the masses were full, so talk to me again about why you don't want to go back, Talk to me again about why you don't want the church to be vibrant like she once was. Talk to me again about why you don't want to return to those things that were holy and the product of years and years and centuries of tradition. Tell me again about the fruits of Vatican II. Tell me again about the what you see as the improvements. And they're left dumbstruck, again, because there are none. There are no Novus Ordo movements that are filling these things. The orders that are growing are those that are traditional. 
the the uh, religious orders that are growing are those that are traditional. In the diocese where seminaries are, enrollment is growing in seminaries or our vocations are growing, it's because they have a good bishop who stays home and is a shepherd. It's because they have the avenues of grace are open in those dioceses and people are, are involved in conversion, not in comfort. And so that's the thing. Conversion is not comfortable. Conversion is challenging. Conversion is a constant journey. It's not reaching a place of comfort or respite. And so that's what I would say to those people, because ultimately these movements, they're emptying our churches. They're emptying our faith. And these movements do not have good fruit. They have emotional consolation. We've confused emotional consolation for spiritual solace, for spiritual growth. And suffering is is really the touchstone on that is modernly people want this healing to be defined as the end of suffering this the stopping of physical discomfort it's never been defined as such it was not it was never defined as such um even christ himself didn't define it as that he linked sin with suffering he linked faith with with liberation this linkage we pass over and so we must take the scriptures in their totality. We must take Catholicism in its totality, the good times and the bad times. And I think 500 years from now, you're going to look back on this as a very dark, dark time in the church. Well, the, the pressure, I think, is to look at the times and have the church adapt to those times versus having well, the times adapt to the church. <laughs> Precisely, precisely, and that's the difference in enculturation. We get it exactly wrong. Enculturation means to take our Catholic practices into the culture and purify the culture, be the conscience of the culture, not to take these deviant pagan practices and bring them into the liturgy. That's absolutely false. It's absolutely wrong, and it's never been supported. The The mass that converted Mexico was a Tridentine mass. That's what we need to understand is we bring the truth, we bring the gospel, and then people conform to it, people convert to it. Otherwise, you're converting the faith back to what the pagan practice. And I mean, these are principles, these are these are time-tested ancient principles. There's really new, nothing new under the sun. It is the same old shoot 'em up The adversary comes at us the same way. He wants to, especially with regard to priests, he takes their <clears throat> their compassion, their desire to be present to souls, and then corrupts it to a desire to be popular, to a desire to bring temporal comfort, to a desire to be political. And it's a, it's a subtle corruption. He's able to do this because of the lack of formation, the lack of understanding of the priesthood. Priests today, by and large, do not understand the priesthood, do not understand exactly who they are because they do not understand who Jesus was. Wow. Well, we're coming up to the top of our hour, Kyle. It's been, it, the time flies. So before we close, Kyle, let's close with the prayer. And then once more, if people are interested in hearing more about Libra Christa, maybe you can tell us where they can find you. Very good. Would you like the prayer now? Yes. Lord God Almighty, Ancient of Days, if I have said anything that is improper, please purify it, sanctify it. If these words have brought about conversion and conviction, let it begin with me and in me. Lord, do not let these listeners discount these words because they know me to be a great sinner, which I am. 
I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. I am a person of no merit, of no standing, but let the truth and let these words sink deep into their hearts. Let your Holy Spirit make these words have the effect that you would have them have. Lord, purify your church, sanctify your people, bring us to life everlasting. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Kyle. And tell us again where we can get more information about Libra Cristo. LibraCristo.org, L-I-B-E-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-O.org. Go ahead, Kyle. And so Libra Cristo, the website, there are many free sections. There are many talks. There are many videos. Father Ripperger, myself, other experts in freedom, Catholic liberation. There are many programs out there that have worked their way into the Catholic Church, not just in spiritual warfare, but in liberation and deliverance. But I think that one of the things we really need to do in 2020 is in our house, in our homes, in our churches, in our parishes, especially speaking to you priests who might be listening to this and other um, parish administrators, look at the ministries and the programs in your parish and let's clean house. Less is more. Let's go with fewer ministries, fewer things, but those which bring true unification, unification in the holy name of Jesus. Let's bring back the veneration of Jesus, bring Jesus back to the center, bring him back to the center of our parishes, the center of our life, the center of our devotion. Libra Cristo has tools, Freedom Through Christ, and other tools that are available. Go to the website, explore the website, see what's there. Uh, I urge you to incorporate Freedom Through Christ as a parish ministry, as a family ministry, as a teaching tool. The people who developed it had been, have been in liberation ministry for over 20 years. There's over 200 cumulative years of Catholic liberation and exorcism knowledge brought to bear. And so I think that you, you have to look at that. You have to listen to that. And it is patently Catholic. It's absolutely Catholic. And you don't have to change anything. You don't have to to move anything around. The Blessed Mother has a very prominent role. Jesus, of course, is at the center. And the church and a return to the sacraments is absolutely necessary in this understanding and this complete understanding of Catholic liberation. God bless you, Kyle. We have to go. Thank you so much and have a beautiful 2020. We'll talk to you next month. You have been listening to WSFI 88.5 FM, Reclamation Theology. A copy of this broadcast will be made available at wsficatholicradio.org. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Pizza Dulcedo, et spes nostra salve, ad te clamamus, Exulis filiebe, ate suspiramus, gementes et flentes, in hac lacrimarum vale. Ega ergo, advocata nostra, illus tuos misericordiae,
Virgo Maria.